0: Right, and if you're around Heather very much, uh, you know that uh, God is uh, her strength, and uh, she struggles some, but uh, what an incredible uh, testimony she has for Christ. Guys, uh, it's so good to have each of you here today, and if you're a uh, guest uh, and haven't been here the last few weeks, we are nearing the end. In fact, this is the last message in a series of sermons, probably one of the longest we've done, Uh, I think it was 14 weeks or 17 or something, I've lost count. Uh, But we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. It's been a verse-by-verse study, and we have done it in the context of identity, who we are. We began by asking, who are you? Who do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as someone who uh, occupies a a role in a family or maybe has a job, or or do you identify who you are by what you own? And we said that none of those things are really going to help us discover who we are. And none of those things are going to please us ultimately. None of those things are going to satisfy us. That the only way we can find our identity is in Christ, and then in that uh, the the sermon since then we talked about various things we find in the book of Ephesians that identify who we are, and so it's been a great study. All of our messages are online if you want to go back and catch those, and uh, and today we're going to wrap that up by looking at the last few verses of Ephesians chapter six. Now, one of the things we've been talking about is how do we see ourselves? How do we see one another? So I wanted to ask you a question: When you think about a Christian, what? kind of mental picture do you get? And before you answer that, let me just say, I'm going to assume that it's a positive thing. I know that sometimes Christians, we don't always put forth the best example. And so if you've seen a really, really negative experience of a Christian, I want to apologize for all of us and tell you sometimes we just lose our head and do stupid things. But, but hopefully your, uh, your thought, your image is of something positive. And, uh, and maybe it's a really, uh, a really kind, gentle person that's soft-spoken and would never hurt a flea. And maybe if you were to think about an image, it might be a dog. It might be like a golden retriever. You know how they're just always wanting to please and you know, just wagging the tail all the time. Maybe that's your picture of a Christian. And if that is true, then this image may upset you. Do you have a tough time thinking about a Christian looking like this? I think we have an image up there. No picture up there? There he is. There's what we're looking for. Here, here we got, uh, I think it's a seal maybe, but uh, a heavily armed soldier with weapons, with armor, prepared to go into battle. Now some of you are probably going, well, I never thought about a Christian really looking like that. You know, Does the idea of using spiritual weapons turn you off? Does battle and conflict make you a little bit uncomfortable? Would you like to think that you don't really have any enemies? Would you think I can go through life and I'm always going to be friends with everybody and everything, that there are no enemies in our life. If so, then I'm going to rock your world today. I'm going to tell you that the opposite is true, that, that you're not going to live a peaceful life like that all the time. If you are a Christian, you are in the battle of your life because you have an enemy who hates you worse than Kim jong Young hates the U.S. And that's a lot, isn't it? He hates you that much, and he wants to destroy you. And a lot of us don't even realize that he exists. A lot of us live our lives in like, you know, this la-la land of imagining that that we are on our own and that whatever we do are our choices and, and that we don't have anybody who's trying to out to get us or anything. And, you know, we don't realize that he exists. And many people see Satan, if they do believe in him, as a fictitious character that is basically powerless. We don't think that he is real, nor do we acknowledge that he has demon angels that work with him. We don't think any of that is real. And we believe that all of our problems are, are basically of human origin, and we blame them on other people. And sometimes other people do affect our lives, and they come against us. However, all of those problems and all of our enemies, we might think here, spring from one major source. And the last few verses of this, chap, this book and this chapter of Ephesians 6 we discovered that there is a spiritual realm, and there is a spiritual battle that we don't oftentimes talk about. And if sometimes you feel like, you know what, life is tough, and life, I feel like I'm in the middle of a war, the reason you feel that is because you're in the middle of a war, because you are on the battlefield, and you're going to decide how you're going to respond to that sort of environment. And so here's what Paul writes, and I think it's significant near the end of this book that he writes these words to a church, a group of people he loves. He knows their struggle, their battle. Here's what he writes to them. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul says here that you are in a battle. Now, when you're in a battle, you need some military advice. You don't need people talking peace. You don't need a guy like me that tells you how to get along with everybody, right? Because you're in a battle And a battle is a setting that you need to know what to do when the enemy comes against you because he's going to come. And so to, to get some military advice, you got to go to somebody who knows the battle. And Paul gives us that. Paul was a great Christian soldier. And so he's going to give us some advice. And the first thing he tells us, when you're in battle, you need to know your enemy. Know your enemy. The famous Chinese military strategist Sun Xu said, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you will not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So you need to know who your enemy is. Know, number one, that you have an enemy. Be aware of that. And secondly, understand that your enemy doesn't just want to trouble you or or, make you uncomfortable. He wants to destroy you in any number of ways that he can do that. I mean physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, relationally, spiritually, in every way. Satan is out to destroy you, so never take your enemy lightly. In fact, says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which is what we always assume, that people are against us. Someone's out to get me, right? Well, someone is, but it's not a flesh and blood, someone. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What is he telling us here? He's telling us that the enemy is big, and the enemy is so much bigger than you are. So many people feel like, I got this. I got it all together. I can figure this out. I can take care of that. But alone, you don't stand a chance against your enemies. And I think one of the greatest dangers in modern warfare is that the enemy isn't always obvious. You know, I've, I've read stories back in the, you know, like even the Asian wars about how the enemy, you didn't always know who the enemy was because they could infiltrate just with the regular people of the city and you didn't know who the enemy was all the time. Today in modern urban warfare in the middle East, you don't know who the enemy is. It could be a woman or a child with an explosive belt or vest on them coming in innocently and then destroying everybody. Can you imagine being in the middle of a battle and not being sure who the enemy was? Or, or who was trying to destroy you. Or how serious they were. The Bible says that Satan is like that. But we can identify him. We don't have to be ignorant of this. We need to know our enemy. Bible tells us that Satan is a powerful angel. Who many years ago. But even before creation. Rebelled against God. And led thousands of other evil angels to the dark side. They are now his minions. His, uh, his demons. Now Satan doesn't have the same power as God. We've talked about Satan. Uh, in the past, but he doesn't have the same power as God. But he knows people, and he knows your weaknesses. He knows what it takes to make you fall. He knows how to tempt you. If we look back at the fall of Satan, the Bible says that his fall came because of pride and independence. And you've got to understand that Satan will use those same temptations against you because all of us are prone to be proud and independent and think we don't need God. He tells us, "You know what? You got this." you're good. He tells you, you can be complacent. You don't have to worry about spiritual things. You know, you can have a, a toe, in the, toe in the water. You don't have to get all the way in. But Paul says, you know what, it's not like that. Paul says, you know, it, it's, a, it's a personal issue. In fact, the words he used are, are the word struggle. And you know, a struggle is not just two armies trying to figure out how to, how to attack each other. A struggle is hand-to-hand combat. It is one-on-one, face-to-face. Another word the Bible uses is wrestling with Satan. Some of you know what wrestling's all about. It's pretty physical, it's one-on-one. And and when you're wrestling someone, you need to know what their weakness is. And Satan knows your weakness. Not only is it one-on-one and hand-to-hand and face-to-face combat, but Satan is also always taking pot shots at you all the time. He's always trying to find and exploit a weakness that you might have. He's always trying to find an area. Sometimes he'll just lob attacks at you all the time just to see what you might fall for. So the best way to resist him is to know your enemy and know how he works. And God's word tells us how Satan works, that he is a liar and the father of liars. It tells us so much about how he attacks us. So know your enemy. Number two, know your king. Know who your commander is, who's in charge. You don't have to be out there alone. Because we have a king, a lord, a commander who wants to help us win the battle. And so Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, here's the reality. It is his war, not ours. It is his war. It's not our war. We're just, we're the soldiers, We're the foot soldiers there. But if we aren't careful, we can become his captives. We can be the captives of Satan. You know, we have to be strong. But our strength is, is not in our own strength. It's in him and his strength. Now, you may be a really strong person. You may be strong emotionally, physically. You may, uh, financially, you you don't have it all. You may even be spiritually strong. But your personal strength will never, ever be enough because you have to rely upon and you have to get your strength from the Lord and from His Holy Spirit. That is the only source of strength. You know, even Jesus Christ, when He was here in the flesh, do you remember the story Shortly after his baptism, the Holy Spirit had come upon him. The presence of God had been fresh on him. And what does it say? That he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, led out to be tempted. And then it says in the wilderness, he was full of the Holy Spirit. But do you see what happened there in the wilderness? He was tempted and he resisted. How did he resist? Because the Spirit, the power of the Spirit was strong upon him. And guys, none of us are as strong as Jesus. So we have to have this secret weapon the Spirit of God, we have to know who our commander and who our power comes from. And then thirdly, you got to know your weapons. you got to know what your weapons are. Know the enemy, know your king, and know what you had to fight with. And so he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the temptations come, you'll be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. You will stand. You know what? A soldier, when he goes into battle, he has weapons, thankfully, has something to fight with. He, he has, or she <laughs> as well, uh, they have armor to protect themselves, but they also have weapons to take it to the enemy. Now, they did in that day. Obviously, they were different. The picture that we see and what we're going to talk a little bit about, the, the type of weapons that, that he uses, uh, are kind of like what a Roman soldier might wear. But you can relate those to modern-day armor and weapons that our military has today. We can connect them. The analogy is not nearly as as clear as, as just the point, the spiritual weapons that are out there. See, God has given us spiritual weapons both to protect us and to help us attack and take ground against the enemy. We're not just to defend ourselves, even though that's the most important thing, but we're also to take ground. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. So let's look at some of the weapons that God's given to us. They're really clear here. The first one is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. You know, Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of liars. So what's he going to do? He's going to use this temptation to lie to you and try to mess you up. First of all, he's going to lie to you and say that you don't need Jesus, that you got it all alone. And then he's going to lie to you and make you doubt God's love for you and God's power in your life and that God has a plan and a will and a desire for your life. He's going to tell you that God doesn't care about you. He's going to tell you that people don't care about you. He's going to lie to you about yourself, about your value and your identity. He's going to lie to you about your relationships. He's going to tell you that your wife doesn't matter, your your husband doesn't matter. He's going to tell you, let your kids raise themselves. He's going to tell you that friends don't care about you. He's going to lie about the church. Man, he's good at this, isn't he? That Satan has convinced our world out there that the church is just a bunch of hypocrites that don't care about people. He's going to tell you, if I were him, I'd do the same thing, to be honest with you, because I know the power of the church. I know what God can do through it. So he's going to lie about the church. He's going to lie about the Bible. He's going to tell you the Bible is old-fashioned, irrelevant, and outdated, and, and, you know, it's not inspired by God. He's going to tell you all those things. And many of us are going to believe those things. Because a lie is oftentimes hard to spot. Because a lie, many times, may have a little bit of truth in it. Or because a lie, a temptation may attack us at our own natural weaknesses. So because of that, we have to know the truth, and we have to be able to spot the lies. That's why Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the truth is found in God's Word. That's where we discover it. That's where we understand it. We we grow in our knowledge, and we grow in our knowledge of the truth. And so Paul says, you have to have the truth, and you need to have it firmly wrapped around you. You need to be cocooned in the truth of God's Word, the belt of truth. Secondly, you got the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is a protection that we receive whenever we give our lives to Christ. It's not our own righteousness. It's His righteousness that we wear. And what does the breastplate protect? It protects the heart. The heart, which is the seed of our emotions and, and, our, and our thoughts and everything. And it keeps the lives of Satan from penetrating and destroying us. Don't listen to the devil when he tells you that Jesus isn't enough. Don't listen to him when he, when he says that you don't matter and that you're not important to God. Don't, don't listen when he tells you you're a lousy Christian or that having bad thoughts are, make you a bad person or being tempted, it makes you a sinner. It makes you human when you're tempted. 2 Corinthians 10 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we're the ones that are taking captive thoughts, not being taken captive by the temptations that Satan throws at us. Not only does the righteousness of Christ protect us, it also gives us confidence and encouragement to fight the battle. You know, when you send a a, a soldier into battle, and he is confident of his armor, his protection, he is confident of his weapons, he is much better equipped to defeat the enemy. So when you know the truth, and you're surrounded by, by faith and righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and you go into battle, you're going you're to survive. When you get wounded, if you do, you can come back. You can come back to God, your king. You can be restored and healed and get back into the battle again. But you have to have the breastplate of righteousness to survive. And then you need the boots of the gospel. Paul says, with your feet firmly fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You know, one thing I've noticed in every picture I've ever seen of a soldier, they do not wear flip-flops. Not into battle. Let me tell you, just from experience, not personally, but flip-flops are dangerous for anybody, but you don't wear them into battle. You don't do that because you got to have some traction. You, you wear boots. Soldiers wear army boots. We all know that. And when they're in the thick of battle, you know what? They wear them all the time. They sleep in them if they have to. Why? Because they got to be ready. They have to be ready to advance, to attack, to to escape, whatever it might be, when the enemy comes against them because you never, ever know where the attack will come from and when because Satan does not work on a 9-to-5 schedule. Soldiers don't work on a 9-to-5 schedule either, do they? And Satan is always on guard. He's always on attack. He's not going to call you up and send an email or a text and say, hey, get ready, I'm about to hit you hard with the temptation. Incoming. Not happening like that, is it? Doesn't happen like that. It comes any moment when you're not prepared. And so the Bible says you gotta have, you gotta be prepared to go at a moment's notice. You gotta have the boots of the gospel, and the gospel's the good news of Jesus. Amen. So whenever you're attacked or whenever others are attacked, you need to have the gospel front and, and center and ready to go and ready to, to move and to apply it. Because the battle is real, Amen. it is real, and Satan will destroy you any moment. He knows more about you than you know about yourself, to be honest. And he will attack you where you're vulnerable. And he will attack people who, who, who are desperately searching for something. And the gospel is what they need. People are dying every day apart from Jesus and apart from hope. And Satan is, is on the losing side, but he's not yet been destroyed. He still has some, some power, some strength. And he's working to destroy people who will allow him to get into their lives. You see, the battle that started back in heaven many years ago between God and Satan, he threw them out of heaven, but then the battle was taken to the earth. And it still goes on. You're not a part of that. In the garden, Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and he took them captive to sin because they were weak and they fell. But then Jesus came into the battlefield. He started taking out the enemy like a soldier in battle, like a sniper, just taking them out systematically one by one. He fought by opposing sin and hypocrisy, and then he went to the cross to die. And you say, what? I thought he was going to live. I thought he was going to win the battle, but he, he went to die. That may be a strange way to fight, but it was the only way to win. Amen. When Jesus went and he died and he came back to life again, it was God's strategy, it was God's plan to overcome sin. The debt for sin was paid. Justice was paid for sin. And then Jesus overcame that and came back to life again. And now he lives for us. That was the strategy. You know, see, you see in, in, in military strategy, you got to be creative. you got to understand what it takes. And that's what God was. That's what God did. And you know, I was thinking about this, and I thought about a story I heard long ago, a history uh, of, that the, the Greek army, many years ago, tried for 10 solid years to take the city of Troy. And here was their plan. They were going to build, uh, they tried to lay siege to the city, but they couldn't take it. And so they had a strategy. They said, okay, let's build a large wooden horse. And so they built this horse, and they let the, the People in the city of Troy watched them build it, and they built this horse and everything. And then at nightfall, uh, before they, uh, uh, while no one was watching, their best soldiers climbed up in the the horse, and the rest of them sailed away. And so it appeared like a really kind of strange thing that the Greeks had built this horse and then left and and surrendered. And you probably know the story that after they were gone, the, the people of the city of Troy opened the gates, they brought the horse into their city, and they closed the gates back up. And the next night, the soldiers who had been inside the horse opened up a secret door. They exited. They went over, opened the gates up to the Greek city and uh, uh, to the the Greek army that, meanwhile, in the night, returned. And they took the city. It was strategy. It was all creative. It was was amazing. What looked like defeat and surrender became victory. And that's exactly how it was with Jesus. What looked like he died on the cross and Satan must have been thrilled. But three days later, he came out of the tomb and victory was declared. I mean, that's an incredible strategy. It looked like defeat, but it was a path to victory. And sometimes when we, you know, the Bible says to find ourselves in Christ, we have to lose ourselves to ourselves. It looks like defeat, but it's a path to victory. And then Paul says, you've got to have the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have you ever seen one of those movies where. Um, I remember cowboy I used to love cowboy and Indian movies, and uh, the cowboys would be in the fort, and the Indians would be out there, and they'd be shooting these arrows, flaming arrows, over the wall into the fort. And sometimes you might get hit randomly, but the biggest danger was that the arrow would hit a, a, a bale of hay or something, and it would explode, and, and, uh, and they would destroy that which was within. You know, the Bible says that Satan knows us pretty particular and pretty uniquely, but he is also shooting random accusations at us that a lot of us fall prey to. Accusations of of you're not good enough, or regret, or haunting you with your past. Revelation chapter 12 says, Satan is the accuser of the children of God. So if you've ever felt accused, if you've ever felt shamed, Satan is the one doing that. If people have ever attacked you, Satan is the one doing that. He's throwing the past back at you, trying to drag us down or beat you up with guilt. He's accusing and shaming and attacking well, you know what? In that day, they, the soldier would carry this large shield and many times it was made out of, out of leather and they would wet the leather, would soak the leather, leather before the battle so when the, the flaming arrows would hit it, they would be extinguished. So kind of a neat picture there. And then when, it, when they would attack, they would hold this shield up over their heads to protect themselves from arrows that would come raining down. And you've probably seen the pictures of a whole army that would stand together and they would all put their shields up and create a kind of a a canopy that would protect them and they would advance under that. It's a beautiful picture of how the church moves together and strength in numbers and with faith together we can do all things. A beautiful picture. Paul says you have to have the the shield of faith. Then he says you need to have the helmet of salvation. Salvation protects your mind and your thinking because you're going to be surrounded by false teaching and lies and half-truths and temptations and confusion, and you got to keep your head straight. you got to protect your thinking. Don't become afraid. Remember your king and his orders and just be obedient. Just do what you were told because there is a strategy. There's sense to be made of it because someone's in control. And then the next weapon, I love this one. This is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The ones that we've talked about before, these items are are armor to protect us. But the sword is our best weapon to advance the gospel. You know, when you think about it, the first spiritual battle was over the word of God. God said to Adam and Eve, Don't do this. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they disobeyed him, and it led to the sin-filled world that we live in today. And so when you stop Feeding on the Word of God, you are starting to surrender. When you stop reading your Bible, it's your first act of surrender. When you stop going to church and hearing the Bible taught, it's it surrender. When you stop going to your group, and you're, uh, it's surrender. When you stop repenting, it's surrendering. And if you think about in, in someone's life, as they move away from God, every point of distance that they take from God is an act of surrender until at some point... You're going to be taken captive when you get away from the strength, which is the Word of God. But on the other hand, if you, when you read your Bible, you open your Bible in the morning to read. It is an act of preparing for war. Whenever you go to church and share with other believers and hear the Word of God, you're preparing for war. When you go to your group, it's for war. Now, some of you are going. You know, I don't. I'm kind of a lover. I'm I'm not a fighter. I don't like conflict. You know, I just don't want to be, and I don't want to be in a battle. Can I just be neutral? You know what happens to people who are neutral? They get overtaken and made captive, right? You can't be neutral in this war. It's impossible. You're going to have to pick a side. No choice is a choice. The Bible tells us that we, in many ways, are born into captivity. It's not that we're born with the sin necessarily, but we're born with a sin nature. And we are slaves in our natural state. We are slaves to sin. And we are born again in Christ. That's our new birth. And when we have been born again by the word, by the gospel of Christ, once we know the word, we need to be prepared and keep our sword in our hand and in our heart. Because the sword will be what helps us not only defend ourselves, but to take ground for our king. And there's one other weapon that doesn't sound like a weapon, but it is prayer. Prayer is a powerful weapon. One of the most important things in battle is to stay in communication with your commander, with your king. And when we do that, by praying to God through Christ in the Spirit, the Bible teaches us that we have an advocate with the Father, that that Jesus Christ is our mediator, and He has taken our prayers to the Father, and so we pray in the Spirit through Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we have this incredible advantage. We have this secret weapon I mentioned earlier. We have the Holy Spirit who is in us as a gift from God when we give our life to Christ. And as long as we have the Spirit of God in our our lives and we're connecting His Word and with His people and and studying, growing, we have communication. But whenever we stop hearing from God by not reading the Bible or our message sermons and we stop talking to God, we get out of communication with Him. And we get disconnected from Him. As long as we're connected to the Holy Spirit, we'll be led and guided. but, But without that, we're on our own. You know, I've never been in the military, but I can imagine one of a soldier's greatest fears is to be cut off from the rest of the army, to be cut off from, uh, you know, other soldiers, to be cut off from the commander. I I believe the guy that carries the radio is a pretty important person because, you know, not only can you tell the need that you have, but you can call in some help when you need it. And so we all need that kind of communication, that sort of contact, because we can't do it alone. we got to have help. And the way that we get that, is by calling out in prayer. So it's a powerful thing, calling down the power of God into our lives. You know, one of the things that we've been doing for the last few weeks, a few of us, we want to invite everyone is on Saturday mornings, uh, the first and third Saturday morning from nine to 10, we try to keep it about an hour, but several of us will just get together and pray. And I want to tell you, it's a powerful experience. If God has, has made you a prayer and if you want to grow in your prayer life, we'd love to have you come and share with us. Or if you want to be prayed for, and you got a need in your life, you show up and we promise we'll do that because we believe in the power of prayer and what God can do. It's an amazing weapon, most powerful weapon that's in our disposal. And then one other thing that we have, and it's uh, um, you probably caught it a few times we read through it, it's the word, it's advice. Here's what you do, you stand. You stand. You know, sometimes we feel like, you know, I I don't think I'm making any progress. Well, if you can't make progress at a moment, just stand. Just stand firm where you are. Four times in just a couple verses, Paul says, stand against, stand your ground, stand, stand firm. You have to stand at your post no matter what. No desertion, no wavering, no retreat. Guys, I want to tell you, wherever you are right now, God is, is, is calling you and He wants you to stand. He wants you to stand for your marriage. God wants you to stand for your family. He wants you to stand up in your job. He wants you, and we need you to stand in your church. He wants you to stand in the group of people that he's called you to serve and and to grow with. And I want to encourage you, this is the call, this is the lesson that I believe we can wrap up this entire book this morning by saying, God wants us to be faithful and persevere and stand in our walk with him. And this morning, if you're here and you're a Christian, I want to challenge you to stand firm. Stand in battle and stand in the good times too. You're not always under the gun. There are times of break. God knows you need some breaks every now and then. And when you get those breaks, you still have to stand firm and prepare for the battle that is to come. Be faithful. And this morning, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, I would love to talk to you about that relationship and how to take your first step on your journey toward Jesus Christ, we would love to invite you to join the army, the army that one day will stand in the presence of our Lord and be rewarded and hear, well done, good and faithful servant and soldier in the army. Because I promise you, in the end, victory will come. We're going to wrap up our time together this morning right here by by having a time of sharing in communion. And I, I think this is one of the ways that we stand You know, Jesus said when he gave these two simple elements to his disciples, he said, when you take these, you do this in remembrance of me and do this until I come back. And so one of the ways that we remember Jesus and his love for us is by, on a weekly basis in our church, we take a few moments every Sunday and we take the the Lord's Supper, a piece of bread and a cup of juice that remind us of the body of Christ that was broken and the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. And it's our way of not only proclaiming, his death, but celebrating and being grateful to Him. So if you're a believer, we invite you to share with us in doing that. And our tradition is to take uh, as it passes, and then for a few moments, our own meditation. And then when you're prepared, you, you may take that. So let's pray for our communion time. Father, we just come to You, Lord. And uh, God, we're so grateful to You that You invited us to be in Your army. God, uh, we want to be faithful soldiers. We want to be commended. We want to we survive We want to be victorious. We want to be rewarded, God, because you are faithful. We know that all of those things come at the end of our lives, the end of time. But, God, they only come because of one, the the most amazing soldier who ever walked this earth was Jesus, who who willingly, and courageously walked up to face death and died for us. Your word says that greater love has no one than this. He would lay down his life for a friend. God, thank you that Jesus laid his life down for us as we celebrate this incredible gift, this sacrifice, God, draws to you. I ask in Christ's name.